Hello and welcome to the You Matter to Christ podcast. Many of our listeners and guests call this podcast an experience because throughout the variety of extraordinary people we have on the show, you'll hear stories of overcoming trauma, hitting record-breaking business goals, people forgiving the unforgivable, and yes, even miracles that will shock and inspire you. On this show, you'll hear from professional athletes, entrepreneurs, and everyday people from all walks of life. Discover the profound truth that regardless of your background or circumstances, you matter deeply to the creator of the universe. You were made for a purpose, and you matter to Christ. Get ready for inspiring stories, personal testimonies, and uplifting messages that remind us of the unchanging love and grace available to all. And remember this, you matter to Christ. Hey everybody, Chad Burmeister, and I am your host of the Living a Better Story podcast. And today, like other days, uh, we're going to have a really good conversation. And this is somebody who's had, I'll call it a hiatus for 12 years, and then came back. And we're going to tell you about that hiatus. He's going to share with you what he learned during the hiatus. And so today I've got Bikram with us. Bikram, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, Bikram's also a Colorado native. I moved here when I was five, so I call myself a Colorado native. I've experienced five other states and then traveled to China, to Italy, to all over the world. And it took me all those places to discover that I needed to come back home. So Bikram, uh, I think you've you've stayed at, in Colorado, but you've traveled the world as well. So, Yeah, I've, gotten to, I've been blessed in that respect. Uh, yeah, my heart is here, my soul is here, my spirit's here. I can't. It's two weeks. Two weeks is the number. <laughs> two weeks. That's that's when you need to come back. Yeah. Well, let, let's dig in. So, Bikram, your company's called Evolution Laboratories or Evo Labs for short. Um, what what is that? You know, you started in two thousand four. What does Evo Labs? You know, what does that do for the world? What what what's your mission at at Evo Labs? Uh, yeah, definitely. Our mission is pretty simple. Uh, we're graphic design, printing, marketing, and business and personal consultancy for small mom and pop family owned businesses that could probably not afford those type of services um, otherwise. So Evolution Laboratories in our labs, we work together with you and your business to evolve it um, even in your personal life. Generally, we get into consulting on a business uh, that's small in nature, and most of the issues with the business link back to issues in, in a person's personal life. So, you know, we do business and personal consulting because they, the two go hand in hand. So essentially, we are bringing a business into our laboratories using our experience, um, education, all that good stuff, resources, network to build a business, uh, help build a more solid personal life for our clients. And we do that um, for our clients at you know, the lowest prices that we've seen around to make it affordable for the smaller companies that make up 70% of our economy. Love it. To make that, that's where I think Robert saw the parallels to what we're doing. And uh, there's definitely some overlap there. So very cool. If I were to ask your friends, family, um, 
relatives, whatever, the three words that they would use to describe you um, post hiatus, probably. Uh, what what would what do you think they would say? Less Eric, <laughs> uh, less of a jerk, and super. Hey, <laughs> you know I have a pretty significant felony conviction um, for a thing that most people attach um, super horrible you know characters too which is understandable as it should be um but i think you know when i was younger i was like everybody else prideful arrogant uh you know quick but i was respectful responsible for the most part um and now i think at post hiatus people have, would say that i've grown up and um you know like i said <laughs> less prideful less arrogant more humble more communicative communicative and uh, definitely loyal well i have a good friend who faced 24 counts uh felony charge it pleaded down to one um he thought he was going to be thrown in in the uh behind the what do they call it behind the lines behind the bars, bars. uh yeah uh, i've heard another term behind the wire right like the bar wire so he thought he was going in and it was like a year in waiting and then he finally gets to the to the place and he had a lot of people right uh, in talking about his character reference and then the judge sentenced him to a lesser charge and gave him um, I think it was house arrest or something but he, he has the fel felony conviction and that year of, of waiting time man is was so tough for him because it's like either tell me I'm going left or I'm going right <laughs> you know what, what was yeah. the waiting like for you uh, leading up to you know that like that, just like that, right? <laughs> For me, it was a uh, it was um, a little under a year from when the incident happened. So, my charge was uh, first degree murder. Uh, the incident happened on August eleventh, two thousand and six, and then trial and everything was wrapped up by I think August first of two thousand and seven. It started in like July of two thousand and seven, so it was a little under a year for that piece of it. And, um, you know, it's, it was, uh, it was hell, you know, I was facing life in prison at one point they're talking about the death penalty. Um, and for me personally, the charge didn't match the situation is what it comes down to. Uh, I definitely killed another human being, my decisions, which were horrible, uh, decisions, uh, made while I was intoxicated, uh, resulted in the life of another, uh, the, loss of another life, uh, which in and of itself I had to deal with. Um, so that was a huge component. I really didn't care what was going to happen to me. They're talking about the death penalty and life in prison. And I'm like, that's great. <laughs> I don't, I'm dealing with the fact that I killed somebody and it was, it was an accidental death. Like I could tell the story or whatever, but it's a long one. And bottom line is I was charged very high, the highest charge in the land next to treason. Um, and I was charged uh, right after finding out that I had taken another life. So in the worst 15 seconds of my life, I found out I killed somebody and I was being charged with first degree murder for it. So that kicked it off. And then up until trial and even after that, it was the waiting was unexplicable. The, the stress, the, the um, shame and guilt and all the stuff from having extinguished another life from the face of this planet was just, I can't even, you know, 
I mean, the song that comes to mind when I hear this, and I I can't remember who it's by, but the the tune goes, the waiting is the hardest part, right? I I heard Will Smith one time talk about planning to jump out of an airplane. And he's like, he's scared as hell for days and weeks and months. And then finally he gets up and jumps and it's like, ah, okay, I can handle this, right? And so we make up these things in our mind how how terrible things could be. And then you get there and you actually experience. So was the waiting sometimes, you know, even harder than the, than the other part or, or how to, you know, on a uh, scale of one to 10, what was harder, the waiting or the actual getting there? Yeah. I mean, it's, um, that's probably the question. You know, there's, a, there's a, a lot of famous things in prison culture, but one thing that it sticks out is everybody's like, I can't wait to get to prison. Uh, because sitting in a county jail, you know, dealing with the trial or the pleadings and proceedings before you know what's going to happen with you, you don't know anything. And it's all over the board. And in my situation, I was charged with this, um, you know, very high charge. It's not what happened. Um, uh, and, you know, I won't get into that, but I have to introduce that component to it because it's like I'm sitting there with this charge, like play, praying to God, like, come on, man, <laughs> what is going on? Uh, but it's what he used to get my attention. And so I think the waiting is probably the hardest part. Once you get to the trial and the sentence is rendered, you now know what you're facing. And then you just, you start and, and go do it. Doesn't, it's still hard. Um, but I think it's probably that initial part was the hardest. Right. Um, my son faced burns in 2000, last year, in February, about this time last year. He was cooking and it blew up in his face and he had second, third degree burns checked into the burn ward. And it was, it was the time of year when it was very cold, like minus 10 degrees, minus 20 degrees. And so a lot of homeless people were also checked in and they only had like 16, 18 beds, but they needed room for 80 so they're shuffling all these people around. And, you know, when my son goes in, his whole face is basically burned off. And then both of his hands on both sides are peeled off. So similarly, the waiting part is like, okay, what's it going to look like? Yeah. Is he going to be able to breathe and talk and smell? And how's it going to be like when he grows up? All of those questions come through your mind. Then you see him a couple yeah. hours later and it's like, okay, this isn't so bad. It just looks like a really bad sunburn. Yeah. Well, then it, then it got progressively worse over five or six days, puffed up. They had to do surgery. But then we all we could do is have faith. And for three weeks, it was like they wrapped up the bandages and the gauze and pray. And then when they took it off, boom, a new person was born. And, and he, was a, he's, he is a great kid. But you touch his face and you're like, where did all That's that awesome. go? What happened? How did this How did? This? It was just a full miracle. Um. And so when we asked him, I bring that story up because I asked him, okay, how much, how bad does it hurt? The nurse was like, should we give you medicine or not? He goes, I don't know. I don't have anything to compare it to because he's 19 years old. So he's like, I don't know, a three. She goes, okay, then you don't need any meds. He goes, no, whoa, whoa, whoa. I can't even function. Like I need, it's, it's an eight or a nine then if you put it in those terms, right? So it's all relative what we face in life you know, getting, getting to the other side. So that was very interesting. Well, take me back to 
young age, you're five, six, you're Colorado native, it sounds like. What was your passion? What was your thing? You know, I heard you say some level of arrogance, and I think I, I, I run a similar lane, uh, uh, and now I'm less course, arrogant. You know, so, <laughs> what was your I thing mean, when you were younger? People, uh, uh, social interaction and, um, and adrenaline sports, <laughs> I guess is the best way to put it. When I was five, six, I really... Still to this day, I'm older now, so I don't, you know, do anything <laughs> like I used to, obviously. Plus, I now bear all the scars uh, from a life uh, well-lived. I don't know if you can see them or not. I got them all over. But, yeah, so um, people, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I have an affinity for people um, and their stories. And, and, you know, it's rough because the broken people are the, the ones that need a listening ear and compassion and stuff like that. But the, we're also the hardest to deal with because we're broken and we've admitted that and we've accepted it. You know, a lot of people are still living in that facade of everything's fine. And it's, you know, they, they're superficial and fake and, and no judgment. I was there. And I have to be like that to this day and age. If I'm not careful, we're all the same in, in those regards. Um, but just trying to really, um, connect with people and, and, you know, be positive in their life and be a good friend and care for them as another human should be, should do, which isn't always the easiest thing. Uh, and then, you know, going out, hanging out, skateboarding, dirt biking, anything that involved, uh, speed and, and wheels, I guess. <laughs> That's funny. I've got my two skateboards on the wall there. And someone just pointed it out today and they were like, so what's with the skateboards? And I said, well, you know, when I was a kid in this neighborhood, I had a mohawk and I was kind of the outlier to the neighborhood, right? Where there's people like Robert White, who's best friends with John Denver. And then here I am with a mohawk, you know, and a nose ring. <laughs> They're like, wow, how did this kid get into the neighborhood back then? Um, but those are the things that make us who we are. You know, I was out late till one in the morning skateboarding in Castle Rock. Um, but I wasn't causing any trouble uh, at those days. You know, I was just out minding my own business and pushing it to the extreme. So those are the things that that help us in today. Now, when you're looking across from somebody who's in a situation, you know, you're able to have a, a much I, I deeper conversation agree. probably than you would uh, you have can't, if you hadn't gone through what you wanted. Um, we're all prideful. We're all arrogant. We humans are we're all individual and different. You know, no mistake about it. I'm different than you in many respects, but humans are also very similar in many respects. Uh, and our character and the and, um, predispositions we have are one of those things. We're all predispositioned to the seven deadly sins. As much as people, you can be, say there's no God, that's fine to each his own, but you cannot, people can't deny that those seven things, you can pretty much go into anybody's life and find them in what, some way, shape, or form or another. So like that respect, you know, it's, yeah. uh, I wasn't, yeah. didn't do the nose ring and the mohawk. I did the tattoos. So I, you know, kept the clean, you know, persona, uh, so to speak. But yeah, I was, I was on the edge. Um, and I wasn't satisfied with the box. I was always outside of the box and you get, you know, and here in America, it's, it's catch 22. We're independent. You're supposed to think outside the box. You're challenged to do it. But then when you're really young and, and thinking outside the box, 
it's you're getting smacked left and right. And it's like, wait a minute, like you gave me a box and then you tell me to think outside of it. I'm doing that. But, and, and, you know, and, and, and I'm not saying obviously illegal stuff, right. I'm just saying like you skirt the lines, the gray areas thinking outside the box and you get smacked and it, you know, it, it, those shape us into who we are today. Those experiences, if you're not thinking outside the box and you're not getting smacked, then you're not really learning the hard lessons of life and you're stuck in this facade. You know, you're stuck in this, this poster person image of that you've dressed yourself up as for society around you. Um, but I feel that the more you get cracked and the more you hit rock bottom, the real, the more real you can get with yourself and the more real you are with yourself. I mean, that just kind of works itself out into the way you treat other people and how you can empathize and connect with them because you've been in those doldrums before. It, yeah, it feels like the congruency when you're living precisely how God built you to be. It, it the the fear, the pain, a lot of that stuff just goes away. The need for drugs, <laughs> the need for gambling, the need for all those things that you that you learn when you're a kid, uh, all of a sudden are like, wait, why would I ever need that anymore? You know, what a what a yeah yeah yeah. When you, when you live life to the fullest. Okay, so if younger Bikram came in the room right now and goes, knock, 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 and it's you, and you're looking at yourself, and he sits down and says, bro, man, we've been through more than we thought we were going to. And, and he says to you, you know, hey, I, I see a small gap, and here's what it is. Do you think he, what, what do you think younger Bikram would say, man, you got to do a little bit more of this. Is there anything or, or would he be just high-fiving you? Saying, uh, I have this conversation on, actually every morning. <laughs> um, with what I do as a creative um, and, you know, I do do graphic design and stuff like that. I manage more than I create and, you know, I'm not very good at graphic design, but um, I have to be in touch with my inner child because if I don't, then I get, you get too serious too quick. And if you're dealing with a lot of stuff, you get myopic, you know, tunnel vision, you get um, hyper-focused on something and everything else can kind of fall away. So I try and keep in touch with that free-flowing spirit as much as I can. You know, at 43, it's, we live in a world where you got to be responsible. So obviously I try and do that within the confines of uh, my responsibilities as an adult. So, you know, I, it pretty much comes down to this every time I think about it. And it's, you've done good. You know, you try to help people. It kind of blew up in your face a lot. And you're still trying to help people. And it's still blowing up in your face. Uh, and you're making some dumb decisions. So, you know, keep going on. Sense <laughs> of purposes, you're not doing that bad. Can None of us carry on, on yeah. especially in a developed world. You, if you're providing for your family and your kids and, and you know you're not out doing ser seriously stupid stuff. You're pretty much doing okay. I mean, obviously in God's eyes, we're all broken. Um, if we're acknowledging that, then that's really all that God asks us to do and, and get up and try and do your best every day. So, you know, aside from tweaks and stuff like that, which I don't think my childhood self would understand to tell me to make those tweaks. So I think if I'm looking at it from the five or six-year-old version of me um, and saying these things, I mean – you know, I haven't lived the best life. I've made a lot of horrible decisions. I've grown from each of my mistakes. 
and I'm trying to do better. And that's all I can really do. Am I where I want to be at 43? Absolutely not. Far from it. But those are social ideals that, you know, maybe aren't necessarily, um, you know, right in every person's life. Um, But, you know, I'm giving it my best effort. There's always things I can do better. Uh, There's always things I could be doing worse. So, yeah. You know, I've changed my perspective on how God sees me lately. And it came from a pastor named Pastor Travis Hall. Um, I'll have to send you the video because it's so neat. Because a lot of times we think in the worldly view that says, hey, we have to keep moving along the wheel to finally get to significance and everything else. And and someone outside of this uh, sermon, and but but him as well, said, look, when Jesus died for you, all that goes away. So yeah. he sees me as perfect, even in my imperfections. So that's, and when you, when you come into congruence with the creator of the universe already, see, you're already perfect, right? And you said he sees you as imperfect. Imagine if he doesn't, what if he sees you as a hundred percent perfect? And so then, then it's like, holy cow, that's a good gift. Now it's up to me. I don't have to do anything to please him. He's already happy. But it makes me want to go out and say, okay, for the second half of life, how can I influence people and let other people know that they're viewed by the ultimate father as I, I, I completely agree. You know, just, perfectly created. I fully 100% agree. And just to kind of clarify where I'm, what I'm saying with, my, with the statement that I made, I know God sees me as perfect. But there's, there are these things called dichotomies of being a Christian, right? God sees me as perfect but he's also all knowing. So although he sees me as perfect, he damn well knows exactly what my faults and my flaws are. And the Holy Spirit as my counselor is showing me those every day, not from a judgmental point of view, as in you're going to be condemned to hell. That's me. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's what we do. That's our language. That's the devil. That's the sinful part of us. The Holy Spirit's there as our counselors, our guide. Hey, you could do this better. Hey, you could do that better. See, I fully agree. I know that my God, our God has fully absolved me of my past, present, and future sins. And I feel that outside of my spiritual being feels that. But being you know, trapped in this physical body, I still deal with the fear, the doubt, all the stuff. The, and going back to the waiting thing, that's the hardest part of it. Waiting gives that f- sinful flesh part of us the opportunity to just get up in there and really sink its teeth into us. You know, and the spirit is there guiding us patiently. God is with you. Have faith in the process. Have faith. You know, so I, I'm 100% fully agree. I feel forgiven by God. I know he accepts me as is and sees me as perfect as is. But he also understands what I am and capable of as is and wants me to be, you know, better. He, he, he wants to guide me to a better future, a brighter future, a more Christ-like uh, existence on the face of this planet. So that's where we're at. I feel loved, understand. I totally understand the message. I know what Christ did on that cross for me um, and what he continues today to do, to do today at the right hand of God in supplication on, on my behalf and on behalf of the whole world, not just Christians. I mean, he's up there praying for every single one of us. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm with you. Yeah. In the same notion, I am an idiot. <laughs> I am dealing problems right now i've been through all the training with the 12 years of teaching training leading and mentoring inmates in the Colorado department of corrections and everything time management drug and alcohol rehabilitation 
financial management, relationship management. I can, I taught it all. I know it all. I have degrees in it all. Graduated top of my class in it all. I got God living in me, the Holy Spirit with me. And I still, every single day, make the same dumb decisions that I help people try and avoid. <laughs> well, let me give you this hack. And you may have heard this or, or some variation of this. I'll call it a hack. Um, we had a magician to the house the last four days. He's, he's very professional. He's Chinese and he's very professional. So he said, oh, Chad, Chad, you got to stop calling it a hack and Robert and tricks. You know, what you yeah. need to call it is a transformational yeah. mechanism. And I was like, okay, got it, transfer. So here's your transformational mechanism of the day. This, this company called Joyly. So Cheryl Lynn was experiencing a similar depression cycle, just couldn't get out of her own way, right? Because you have 40,000 negative thoughts in a day, or 40,000 thoughts, as I'm sure you've taught people, and two thirds of them can be negative. So this simple exercise is sitting in your chair. It's called the chair of joy. And so you sit in your chair, you breathe four seconds in, hold it for four, four out. Then you think about a joyful time. And then what feeling comes to mind as a result of that joyful time? And you can stack joy. It could be 60 seconds of this. And it changes that rushing river of 40,000 negative thoughts. And it just injects. I, I imagine, imagine a river that's red just flowing down. And then you put in a little shot of blue. And it's like, oh, there we go. It just brings you back to reality. So give that one a try sometime. You probably tried a yeah, variation no, of it, but it works know, like a it charm. This goes back to the childhood connection <laughs> thing. Uh, I learned when I first found out I killed somebody, it was the most devastating thing. And I'm not, uh, let's just make this clear. I'm not a victim. Okay. I made a series of decisions that resulted in me taking a life. I Not one of those decisions was the... I'm going to kill this dude. <laughs> but there was a decision where I decided to fire a weapon. I grabbed a weapon. I loaded a weapon. I went downstairs. And when the stuff got hot, I went to fire a warning shot. And because of the arm damage I showed you, it wasn't a warning shot. Um, so I don't take the victim stance on that. I claim responsibility for my actions. It, it, I didn't intend to kill the dude. It wasn't a first or second. It wasn't a murder. It was a killing. Uh, not killing. I am a convicted murderer, second yeah. degree by the state of Colorado. And I went in and served my 12 years uh, faithfully. And I didn't, you know, sit there and, you know, do this whole, you know, poor woe is me type crap. Um, so all that, you know, I like to kind of set the stage for that just to make sure that people understand that when I say things, it's not like a woe is me. I went through this horrible, terrible thing. No, I went through some crap that I am responsible for. And this is what I learned in the process of, going through that crap that I'm responsible for. And now I forgot after that what I was going to say. Well, the pair of joy and the positive thoughts. Yeah, so that you know, thinking back to when you were a kid. Finding out that I killed somebody was horrific. And I was taking it very seriously because it was very serious. And then it got to the point kind of where I was like, it was so much that my, I just disassociated kind of a little bit with myself. And I started, that was when I kind of, be, I became a Christian. God was heavily speaking to me through everything. Circumstances, people. I started reading the Bible. So obviously he's talking to me through that. And, you know, it's, what it all brought me back to was, this is serious. This is really serious. And if I keep taking it as serious as it is mentally, I'm going to go crazy. Like I'm starting to disassociate. Like I'm not, I'm breaking away from myself and that's not healthy. 
I got to be here. I got to be present. I got to be real. How can I do that? And I have a pretty, um, whenever I'm in really stressful situations, I chuckle. Like it, people like actually think I'm psychotic because when I get into really bad situations, people are like crying and like, it's bad. Like, I, you know, I'm have a smile on my face and I'm kind of chuckling and, and it's not disrespectful. Like it's not in my mind. I'm not like being disrespectful. What I'm doing is my body and my mind are actually going into a childlike response. Like, okay, all right, let's get out of the box. This is horrible. What are we gonna do? Let's fix it. You put kids in bad situations and they go, you know, they don't take it as seriously as we do. I became my chair of joy prison. And like, it's not like yeah. I was running around acting like a child, What nothing matters. No, it's just when I started getting stressed out, I kind of took a step back, disassociated, not from myself, but disassociated my mind from the stress of the situation and started thinking about like, okay, it's bad. It's really bad. Let's just get away from that for a second and think about positive, you know, what do I miss about life? I was in a concrete box. It was easy to do. So you're right. Similar situation and just getting out of it for a moment and breathing deep and reconnecting with stuff that's not the fear and anxiety and the sinful part of our nature that's trying to just suck me in is all of, for all of us the best way to get out. We, you know, we get outside, we do breathing mechanisms, we sit in the chair and joy play guitar. Well, it's funny because at the beginning of this event, we had a guy come in from California <clears throat> and we're at dinner, my parents are here and, and we're just all hanging out in close proximity. And later that night, he gets pale white face. He goes, he's thrown up on the way home. We get a text, hey, I'm going back to California. The same night he came in and we're like, holy cow, what happened? So he gets home and he's like, yeah, my two-year-old son has COVID and it's a bad case. And my wife's checked into the hospital and now I've been thrown up, sorry. <laughs> and, we're, and so similar situation, you just, you know, I could let it pull us down and say, well, what are we gonna do? Let's all quarantine in rooms. And we just were like, chuckle. It was like, let's, let's let us just get past the situation. I mean, so I, I totally hear that. And I think America has kind of taught us to be very analytical about things and live on one side of our brain. And there's a whole other half of the brain that's been underexplored by the American culture. And that's what you were forced yeah, to get inside I, the other side think, of your I brain. I think that everybody should sit inside of a box for six months at some point in life. The people think that everybody should serve. I agree. Like I wanted to serve. I, you know, I don't think 18 year olds should be running around foreign countries carrying guns and, and devices that could, you know, blow up other people in those countries. I think that might be a little bit much, but I love our, you know, first responders, love our military. I love the, the, the I love the ethos of what we're trying to do. Obviously we're all still broken. You give somebody a gun, doesn't matter what continent they're on. It's not going to be a good outcome. That being said, I think everybody needs to experience the breaking down of yourself to your base level and you can get that in boot camp. <laughs> so we'll say this. I think everybody should go through boot camp and or I think everybody should do a six month stint in a concrete box and just it, it takes you away from all the materialistic stuff that we've built up around us to keep ourselves occupied and out of here. Yeah, mine was New Zealand yeah. on a study abroad program. And funny you say that, because it was a little concrete box. There were four of them in a shared shower, and it was yeah. male and female, so that was kind of fun, but <laughs> different time, different place. Uh, but but 
that getting out of your own way and just being able to be and experience life without all of the other concerns. You know, yeah, I had classes and things, but it was like my first D, I think. So one class didn't carry over. But it was nice to just get out of your own way and do that. And I've heard that about people who go into the box and, and they're like, man, you don't understand. Billy Dyson, 33 times arrested. And he was like, finally, he would give up 70% to God, the 90, then 99, but he wasn't given the 100. By the time he was in for the 33rd time, he said, all right, I can't obviously do this all my own, so take it. And, and now he's the, he demonstrates what it's like to be a follower of Jesus more than anybody yeah. else that I know. I fully agree. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's in, if you go to Africa or a third world country, you know, where it's not so material, it's not so developed, you get to see miracles like what are talked about in the Bible every day. You, you, people, I got people that aren't even Christian coming back from places like that going, you know, there's a lot of evil, but there's a lot of good in this world. And, you know, it's, you get to see it firsthand when you go there and experience. So if you've traveled abroad and gotten out into the culture, then you've seen these things. And whether you're a Christian or not, it's undeniable that you see things that are like, wow, actually pretty freaking miraculous type stuff. And it kind of resets you. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's, you, there's a couple of different ways of reconnecting with, with God or yourself and not everything's the same for everybody. You know, some people might go into a box and come out a, a monster in six months, you know, I've seen it. So. Sure. Sure. So you can't just <laughs> prescribe that. Well, let me give you another idea. So we launched an app six months ago called 77 pray and 77 is for Matthew seven, seven right? Ask and it shall be given to you. Knock and the door will be open. And it just bookends your day with prayer. I've never prayed in the morning and at night, but when I turn the app on, it pops up on my phone and it doesn't tell you to do a 10 minute prayer and figure out how to do it properly. It just reminds you to have the conversation. And after 90 days, a hundred days of that, my congruence with talking and listening was off the charts. So same experience of being in the box yeah. without being in the box or similar. I can't say same because that would be well, unempathetic towards what, what you experienced. About it. I say I think people should go to boot camp and be in a box for six months. I mean that metaphorically. I don't think every person should actually go to prison. Once, like I said, yeah. some people might not respond well to that. But God obviously has a component to dealing with humans that involve us being away <laughs> for a long period of time before we're actually fit for the service that he wants us to do. Right. Moses right. took a long time to get his attention. And then after God got his attention, it still took a long time talking about waiting, you know, 40 years in the desert, 20 years, in the, you know, it, it's, it's, these are very long periods of time. And we haven't even talked about Noah. I can't imagine waiting for a hundred over a hundred. I mean, what's that like? I waited for eight, nine, ten months during which there was fast paced development. It's like I can't imagine what waiting on God for a hundred yeah, right. years would be like. You know, so he he has that component, and that's what I'm getting at. Just we got to get we got to. It's all it's good for us to detach from this and attach to in here and here as long as we have that higher you know, God leading us through that process. Cause if you go in there or in there without that, it's confusion, it's chaos. And people get, 
it, it can make people go crazy. You know? Some people yeah. Um, one more question, and we're running out of time on the show. Um, tell us about a time where God undeniably showed up, right? Some people have heard him talk. Other people hear it through parables. Some One time somebody said they were lit, sitting on the couch and God yelled in her ear and said, not now, because she was ready to get a divorce from her husband who was abusive. And she's like, she listened. And then for three years, didn't do anything about it. And then and then it's a sad ending, but the, the husband runs into a tree and dies. And she's like, I heard God clearly tell me and did and not died was a vegetable to be to be truthful. And so she was like, yeah, God told me not to. She could hear him talk in her ear. And then she didn't pull the cord. So how, how has God talked to you or, you know, anything along those lines? You know, I, through circumstances, I mean, God's talking. So let's just get that straight. It's, it's, he's definitely talking all the time. He talks through circumstances, uh, talks through people, timing, just Right. God is, he does, he's everything. My ability to hear God is the problem. So I, <laughs> when I, so when I, I, I'll just really quickly try and hash this up as quick as possible. So in 15 seconds, as I said earlier, I found out that a, I killed somebody and B I'm being charged with first degree murder for it. And then they cuffed me up, went through this whole process, cuffed me up, took me, I tried to kill myself. They, Cuffed me up afterwards, took me to the county jail, put me in a special handling unit under suicide watch. And I, in my heart, there was this window and, and you push your face up against the window. Like, I mean, really push your face up against the window and you can see this little tiny sliver of sky between the two towers of the jail. And in my heart, I got down on my knees on this mattress. There's nothing in the room but concrete. And I got down on my knees and I pressed my face as hard as I could against that metal bar to see the sky. And I called out to whatever was there, right? And that was the rock bottom of my life. And hopefully I never go back anywhere close to that. But that was the worst. And even though I wasn't a Christian, I wasn't religious in any way, shape or form. I believed, you know, aliens and, and whatever. And I've seen UFO, like I've got all the, had all the stuff that I needed to check the box that God didn't exist. But in my deepest, darkest hour, my heart went to the window and called out to a God or to the universe and to whoever was there. And then over the next 72 hours, watched Jesus Christ be the one entity that responded out of my dad's from India. He's Hindu. There's 3000 plus gods there that I've learned some about when I was growing up. I've studied world religions, believed in aliens. The one God that I talked openly the most crap about was Jesus Christ. And in my deepest, darkest hour, when my heart undeniably called out to something greater than myself, which I still can't explain to this day, Jesus and his father are the entities that responded. And then I, as I gave my heart to Christ, I got this thing living in me now telling me, not like I tell, talk to me, but gently. Like, yeah, I don't think you should do that. Just saying, might not be a good idea. You can do that if you would like. But, yeah, you have your own free will. But now you've got this gentle savior. I don't talk to myself like that. I'm a dick to myself. So I know that. So mm -hmm. that was the one time mm -hmm. where undeniably God showed up and, and he has not stopped since then. Now, I never like had the voice of God, but the thoughts that I was having, 
the the stuff that was going on he, it was two satanists that led me to, to to a saving faith in Jesus Christ two satanists are the people that led me to a saving faith in Jesus Christ in a jail cell and everybody's charged with murder it was the craziest stuff you right That's yeah awesome. so that was god god was working through two satanists god was working in the entire situation to let me know this is a horrible situation you accidentally killed another human being, and I know that, and I know your heart, and I'm here, but we're going to go through some stuff because I need your attention. I didn't, I didn't wow, man, that's so visual. I could feel it. Um, the message to people listening on the other side of this is you don't have to be in a prison cell peeking out at the glimmer of light and begging for this. If, if you're having a tough year, your finances stink, your relationship stinks, any of it, right? Just, you don't even have to get down on your knees. You just have to ask the question. Even if you don't believe, it's, hey, God, if you're here, I'll give you a mustard seed level of faith. Help me, because I'm in need, right? And and it's amazing how the, how the gates of heaven just open up when all you have to do is ask. Yeah, it, 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 just remember, it doesn't always look like what you want it to look like though <laughs> that's right you have to be ready for it but it it's it's better in most cases from personal experience it is you might have to do some hard work though but it's always better <laughs> it's always better that's right well hey bikram this is amazing getting to know you um i think we should have you do a conversation with jarvis who spent two years behind the lines and uh it would be a really fun conversation for you and him I think God's got that uh, match-made set up here coming in the not-too-distant future. Perfect. We'll use behind the lines for our veterans, and we'll use behind the wires for our incarcerated formerly. That's right. That's right. (laughs) All right, everybody. Thanks for joining another Living a Better Story podcast. If you want to get a hold of Bikram, uh, if if you go to – what's your website, Bikram? Uh, EvoLabs.us has contact info like – monitor all the emails and phone numbers on that account you can find me on facebook at b as in boy one k r a double m and instagram is the same uh and if you look up bikram mishra denver colorado there's i'm the only white bikram around so there you go (laughs) i've heard of bikram yoga and now i know bikram (laughs) all right everybody thanks for joining and we'll catch you on the next living better story podcast Thank you for joining us on the You Matter to Christ podcast. We hope this journey has reminded you of the incredible truth that your life holds immense value and significance to Christ. As you go about your day, may you carry the assurance that no matter what you face, you are deeply cherished and loved. Remember, you matter to Christ. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and share it with others who may benefit from this message. Stay tuned for more transformative episodes where we continue to explore the depth of God's love and grace. Until next time, remember that you are not alone. Christ's love is with you, guiding and strengthening you every step of the way. May your life be filled with hope, purpose, and the knowledge that you matter to Christ.